Why? Why is my favorite question. One of my favorite questions. The root of my uh, root word in my favorite questions. Why is the sky blue? Uh, we had a little neighbor boy when we lived in another state that will remain nameless. Uh, <laughs> guess. Um, every time we walked out the door and started to get in our vehicles, he would always, if he was out, he'd, where are you going? Why? We would answer, he would go, why? Because that's where we want to go. Why? I quickly figured out the fastest way to make him stop asking why was to go, well, why not? Apparently his little, uh, his little brain couldn't compute that. And we moved before he figured out how to answer that one. So that was good. Well, um, why is the sky blue? Um, why do uh, good people suffer? Well, illnesses like cancer and dementia and uh, Alzheimer's and things like that. Why? We all have our why question, don't we? Uh, younger parents, why don't my little ones sleep for at least three hours? Um, why don't more people like me? For some, it would be why don't, just, why don't people just ignore me, leave me alone? Uh, why did my loved one die? Uh, some of you, maybe not any, you know, I, I just know there may be someone who asked, why on earth is Mark going to be talking about the Apostles' Creed? He told us last week he's going to take the next several weeks to talk about the Apostles' Creed. Why? Doesn't he know there are way more important issues going on in the world than that? Good question. Uh, the people in the congregation in the first century uh, Turkish town of Colossae may have wondered why Paul kept talking about Jesus. Um, hold on, I'm, don't don't get lost yet. Okay, I'm not comparing the Apostles' Creed to Jesus, but you, we'll get to my answer. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses uh, 1 and 2. Therefore, if you have been raised, therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Keep thinking about the things above, not things on the earth. Now, basic rule of reading and studying, not only the Bible, but any literature is that whenever you see the word therefore, stop and ask, what is it therefore? <clears throat> therefore is one of those words that bridges what we've been talking about with what we're about to talk about. It's a connecting word that says what was before 
is the basis and the foundation or the cause for what I'm about to say. So Paul starts with, therefore, you've been raised with Christ, you need to do these things, keep seeking the things above. So what's it there for? I'm going to go quick. I'm not going to read the first two chapters. You can do that for yourselves, but I am going to give you a quick summary of the first two chapters. I'm going to start in chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, uh, where Paul says, uh, the basic address of the way they wrote all the letters back then, from Paul. By the way, I just want to pause for a moment. I have always thought that is the most awesome way to write letters. We do that with emails now. Those of us who get emails right up at the top, it says who it's from and who it's to and what they're asking and talking about. But the good old-fashioned paper letters, remember how those go? Your address, real formal ones, your name and address are up at the top, and then dear so-and-so, and then there's all this stuff. And clear down at the very bottom, depending on how long the letter is, is who it's from. I don't know about you, but the first thing I always did was flip open the paper. If it was a multi-page letter, it didn't matter. I would flip all the way down. I'd find the bottom. Sincerely yours. Oh, it's from so-and-so. I love the fact that all of Paul's letters that way they did it, they started with, from Paul. From Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God the Father, our Father. And pause right there. Four words, right in the middle of verse two, in Christ at Colossae. From the very beginning uh, of, the, of the church, the first century till now, here we are in the 21st century, there's always been two primary alternatives, particularly for those of us who are following Jesus. Are we going to be more in Christ or more in closet or wherever we live? Uh, for us, it would be, are we going to be more in Christ or more in Bay City, Michigan, United States of America? Are we going to be more in Christ or more U.S.? The issue is not whether we're going to live in, in Colossae or wherever, because we have to live somewhere, and this is our address. This is where God's placed us. We live in Bay City, Michigan, right? We do live here. This is our place. The question is, um, am I going to be the person who is living in Christ. As we live in Christ, the more we live in Christ, our attention turns from disgruntlement, dissatisfaction, and complaints about the insanity that's going on around us to discontent with the things in us that don't line up with Jesus. I'm going to repeat that. 
because it's extremely important. We just came off of that of a series of talking about what it means to grow up and become mature as Christians. And a big part of that was for us to be reminded that the problem's not out there for when it comes to growing up and being mature Christians, it's the maturity process is in here, it's not out there. It's not those folks, it's not their problem, it's not those sinners, it's not the church people, it's not the pastors, it's not that, it's not, 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 not there, it's here. In every single one of us, it's in us. And the determination about whether am I, am I living in Christ or in Colossae or Bay City, which one is more dominant? The question is, am I more in line with the people around me or am I more in line with Jesus in here? Do I complain more about the fact that these folks out here are just really weird? They're jerks. They're sinners. They don't vote right, however they're supposed to vote. I know you probably know how people are supposed to vote, but I know people who think that if they're Christians, they'll probably vote different than you or me. We have all these things that we're upset about and disgruntled about and dissatisfied about, about the people out here in Col When the real issue is, am I lining up with Jesus, period? And when I become more and more concerned about what, am I lining up with Jesus, am I in Christ? That's the beginning of revival. That's the beginning of awakening personally. And as it begins to happen in us personally, it begins to spread to people around us. And that's how it, that's how it spreads. One person to the next person to the next until it spreads to a city, a nation, a world. That's what it is. <laughs> so Paul is writing to those who are in Christ and Colossae, and he's, this is the challenge for us. Are we in Christ at Bay City? Or are we mostly at just at Bay City? I could just stop there, but I'm still in the introduction. <laughs> Whoa. But that's a piece of meat to chew on for a while. Let me tell you some more about this letter to the people in the, in the congregation in Colossae. Uh, they practice what I am going to call, for lack of a better term, buffet theology. Uh, they took Jesus. They loved Jesus. He was really cool as far as they were concerned. But they liked Jewish traditions and Greek philosophy too. 
And so they would pick up some of the Jewish traditions and some of the Jewish dietary laws that those were good. You know, some of them used to be, I mean, have, were Jewish, so they, they those are good things. And, and then some of them had been Greek and they had a Greek philosophy training and they liked some of those ideas. And they, so they had Jesus and. Okay, just going to pause for a moment. We can fall into the same trap. That's why it's so important for us to be asking ourselves that question, how am I lining up with Jesus? In the very first chapter, Paul hits, hits this thing. Let me, he doesn't say it specifically. Paul's real subtle in the way he does things. He just, just goes straight into this. Let me tell you about Jesus. Where I said, they were probably wondering why he kept talking about Jesus. Well, here, here he goes. He's going to talk about Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For all things in heaven and on earth were created in him. All things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and all things are held together in him. He is the head of the body, the church, as well as the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself may become first in all things. So he can have first place, so that he can be supreme, have the supremacy. It's hard for us to translate exactly how Paul was talking, but he's basically saying Jesus is number one. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the Son. In other words, everything that makes God divine lives in Jesus. And through him, God reconciled all things to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. He goes on to the second chapter and he says, so be careful not to allow anyone to captivate you through an empty, deceitful philosophy that is according to human standards and the elemental spirits of this world, the basic spiritual ideas of this world that don't line up, he says, according to Christ. And then later he says, even though you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he nevertheless, God nevertheless, made you alive with Jesus, having forgiven all your transgressions. He has destroyed what was against us, all of us, a certificate of indebtedness expressed in decrees opposed to us. He has taken it away by nailing it to the cross, disarming the rulers and authorities. He has made a public disgrace of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you 
with respect to food or drink or in the matter of a feast, new moon or Sabbath days, those are the Jewish traditions. These are only the shadow of the things to come, but the reality is Christ. In other words, Paul says there is no need to add anything to Jesus. Jesus doesn't need any help. He doesn't need any help from the Jewish traditions. He doesn't need any help from the Jewish or from the Greek philosophies. He doesn't need any help from any of the spiritual beings that you may think are there to help him. He's not some sub-being. He's God. And God doesn't need any help from you or anyone else. so tempted to go preaching and meddling, but I'm just going to keep preaching. I'm going to take you back just to remind you Jesus is all we need. He is everything that makes God God. It, everything that's divine lives in Jesus. He is the second person of the Trinity. We talked about the Trinity last week. It's really hard to understand. There are three persons, but there's only one God. Everybody who thinks they understand it is either insane or a heretic. I just know that it is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all of them are everything that makes God God. All of them are unique. All of them love each other with an undying, unquenchable, amazing love. Oh, well, let me tell you something. That love that they have for each other, they give to you and me. Now, back to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, that, that section where Paul goes from chapter 1 and 2, where he's talking about who God is, and he goes into the last chapters and talking about how we're supposed to Respond and, and how we're supposed to live. That's verses chapter three, verses one and two are the bridge into that. And this is the paraphrase of Eugene Peterson's paraphrase from the Message Bible. I love the way he puts it. Uh, it helps clarify some things for us. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life in Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Just going to pause for a moment. Pop quiz. What does Jesus reign over? Everything. Everything. But he's over it. It doesn't need any help. So you have to keep your eyes on the king. Then he says, don't shuffle along eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective.
Why take time to talk about the Apostles' Creed? That is an awesome question. It starts with my favorite word, why? And I think the answer is simply this. Turning our attention toward God, which is the focus of the Apostles' Creed, is God and what he's done for us. Turning our attention toward God rebuilds our lives from the inside out so that we become more like Jesus. So that we become more in Christ and less in Bay City, Michigan, USA. So here's a sermon in a sentence. The focus of our attention shapes us. The focus of our attention shapes us. I often say that the reason we have a sermon in this sentence is so that if you remember absolutely nothing else, I want you to remember that. That is the principle I want you to remember, but I want you also to remember this application question. It's going to be Different answer for each and every one of us. What am I paying attention to? Not, you don't answer for me, okay? I have to answer that for myself. You, you have to, you know, even out there in on, online folks, you have to answer for yourself. You know, here you got to answer for yourself. What are you paying attention to? Because that's what's going to shape you. I'm going to meddle, you know. What's the primary focus of your attention during the day? CNN or Fox? Twitter, Instagram, Facebook? HBO, Netflix. Or that constant worry loop in your head. What are you paying attention to? Because that's what's going to shape you. And so Paul says to us, Look up and be alert to what's going on around Christ. Not on all these other things that want to call for our attention. Look up and pay attention to what's going on around the throne of Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, because that's where the action is. Well, I'm not so sure he realizes what's going on down here. See, I told you what you pay attention to shapes you. Think about that for just a moment. Really? I mean, I understand. Is 
Been there, said that, thought that, felt that. So I, you know, I get it. So I also feel like I have the right to say, really? <clears throat> Let's go back and he's the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the one who became the one of us to die for us. And he, he knows. He's not overlooking anything. He's not surprised by anything. See, like the church in that little town of Colossae 2,000 years ago, you and I can be tempted to add something to Jesus to make his message more acceptable to the people around us or to, to, to just make us feel like, oh, this is going to help make things work out better. Like, we love Jesus. Plus this, to, that's going to help make things better. No. Right. When are we going to realize that everything that we think is going to make something better isn't ever going to make things better? church in North America drifted toward improving Jesus with methods, programs, political power, and stands on social issues during the last century. I found a quote from a man named E.M. Bounds. I read his books on prayer. Uh, he's, I've told you this before, he's one of my mentors on prayer. E.M. Bounds was a chaplain in the Civil War. He died in the early 1900s, so he wrote over 100 years ago, and he wrote this statement, the church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better people, people filled with his spirit and prayer. Over 100 years ago, he looked around at the church in our country and said, we're looking for better methods. And God's looking for better people. Now you, you, you're not, you probably, you may not get ads all the time. I'm a pastor, I get ads. I get, I get emails, I get stuff. I get ads all the time. I get junk mail. I get junk mail from the church. I get junk mail to my house. I get junk mail. This will get people into your church. Just do these six things and you will have a big, gigantic, thriving church. I will be honest, I have bought some of those things. I've bought some of those programs. I've helped funded somebody's vacation to Hawaii or Florida, maybe that, you know, it was a cheaper set because I bought the cheaper ones. I wasn't into the real expensive ones. But they all work the same. They don't work. 
because we're looking for methods and that's not what God uses. God has never used a program out of a box. He's always used people filled with his spirit empowered by prayer, intimate relationship with Jesus. Yeah, Bounds didn't figure that out in the middle of the, the late 1800s. That's been true from the very beginning. Jesus is all we need. That's what Paul told of the church in Colossae. He's all we need. And the focus of our attention, ladies and gentlemen, the focus of our attention shapes us. If we're looking for methods, we're looking for political power, we're looking for something else, that's going to become the focus of our attention, and it's going to shape us. And if it doesn't work, we're going to think I need to try harder or we're going to have to find something else. And every single one of those things is going to take us little by little by little farther away from Jesus. Until we're walking around not in Christ in any way, shape, or form. We have to see Jesus. We have to keep our focus on Jesus. Because that's the only way we're going to become like him. We have to keep our focus on him. fix our gaze on him. It's important because we become what we look like, what or whom we behold, what we focus our attention on. We, we will behold somebody. We will behold something. We will look at something. We will pay attention to things. That's part of worshiping him. We are worshiping people. Like it or not, we are worship leaders. And the question is, where will we lead people? Where are we leading them to worship? I'm going to give you two quick, very quick examples from the Bible. I promise to make these stories, these Bible stories, very quick and short. I could make them longer, but I won't. First one is uh, from the Old Testament, the First Testament, Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 to 30. Some of you might remember this. From Bible uh, vacation Bible school or Sunday school, this is a this is a favorite Bible story. King was Jehoshaphat. Enemies are coming. Massive army. People of Israel are far outnumbered. They have absolutely no hope. They have nowhere to turn. King prays this prayer: God, we are powerless against this huge army that attacks us. We don't know what we should do. Help! Real, you know, one of those really rhetorical, powerful prayers. Help! One of the worship leaders stands up and says, we've got a message from God. He says, you will not fight this battle. Take your position, stand, and watch the Lord deliver you. Don't be afraid. Don't panic. Tomorrow, march out toward them. The Lord is with you. So the next day they march out. And on the way, the king has this wonderful idea. Let's, let's start singing some praise songs. Some of you are already smiling because you know the story. That's all they did. And the praise song was really short too, by the way. 
And they repeated it a lot for all those people who don't like short, repetitive praise choruses. I just want to point this out. Their song was, Give Thanks to the Lord for His Loyal and Love Endures Forever. That was the song. And all the enemy soldiers killed each other. End of the battle. And everybody around them heard that the Lord had fought for them, and they said, we're not messing with those people. Okay, that's the Old Testament. And, you know, we don't have to worry about people attacking us too much. But, okay, let's talk about the New Testament, Acts chapter 4. Persecution. First sign of persecution, Peter and uh, John were arrested. They healed a man. They got arrested, held overnight in prison. Uh, and they were told never to talk about Jesus again. So the first thing they did was come back and decide to start a, a campaign to get rid of the high priest. I already got a look from somebody going, that's not what they did. Yeah, that's not what they did. They came back and they held a <coughs> prayer meeting. And the prayer went like this. Lord, they're threatening us telling us to be quiet. So, give us boldness to speak about Jesus with great courage, and you extend your hand to heal and bring about miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit again. And they began to speak the word of God courageously. Like, like it or not, we are worship leaders. Worship is an expression or ex exhibition of our dependence on God. Worship is declaring God's sufficiency and denouncing our self-sufficiency. It is recognizing our dependence on God and repenting of our independence from him or our dependence on other things besides him. And as soon as we begin worshiping Jesus and Jesus alone, not, not when we're gathering here, but every day in our hearts, then he's the focus of our attention and it shapes us and we begin to have the right to lead other people to worship him. It just happens. I want to invite you to join me in focusing on Jesus and his kingdom. We don't need a program. We don't need a tradition. We don't need a political agenda. We don't need a social issue or anything else. Jesus is all we need. The people around us only need Jesus. Our ancient enemy goes clear back to the gardens. Meek. He has always used deception, distraction, discouragement, and division to draw our focus away from God and to cause us to distrust him. The focus of our attention shapes us. What are you paying attention to? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, turn my eyes up to Jesus.
when worry tries to creep in, I turn my eyes to Jesus. When I'm distracted by whatever, I turn my eyes to Jesus. When I'm discouraged, I turn my eyes to Jesus. When I'm tempted to believe a lie, I turn my eyes to Jesus. When I'm tempted not to love my brothers and sisters, I turn my eyes to Jesus. Turn my eyes to Jesus. Make him my focus. So he shapes me. Well, I've told you this before, but I'm going to remind you, you are sent to love your neighbor as Jesus loved you. And for some of you, you may be wondering, what does that look like? What does it mean to pray and to work? Uh, what does that mean to love them? And yesterday it hit me in the middle of one of the worship sets in the GLR conference. They sang a song I've heard like, and some of you may have heard it, I wouldn't say a gazillion times, but that would be inaccurate. A lot. <clears throat> the blessing. Came out at the beginning of COVID. It's been sung and sung and sung by many people. It hit me right in the middle of that song. Whoa! I want those things for my family. And the Holy Spirit said, and the moment you want those things for the people around you, as much as you want them for your family, you're loving them like Jesus loves them. What does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? It means to pray and to work for their blessing. To pray for the people around me. May God's favor be upon you and your family and your children and their children and their children's children to a thousand generations. May God's holy presence go before you and behind you and beside you, all around you and within you. Jesus is with you in the morning, in the evening, in your coming and your going, in your weeping and rejoicing. God is for you, and we are for you too. You're sent to love as Jesus loves you. Go in the power of God's Holy Spirit.